Good morning and welcome to uh, this uh, Sunday morning service and uh, glad that you can be with us. Trust that you're all sitting comfortably and uh, looking forward to uh, the service today and uh, trust that uh, it will be a blessing as we join together uh, and uh, around God's word. Uh, we're going to open a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, that Lord, that uh, we have a great and mighty God a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, a God who is seated upon the throne of his majesty on high, a God who cares for us as individuals and knows our every need, knows our down-sitting and our uprising and uh, understands, Father God, the circumstance we find ourselves in today with uh, COVID-19 and this lockdown. We do pray, Father God, that you bless each family today as they come together to sit down, to spend time with us uh, around your word. We do pray, Father God, that you bless uh, each family, bless each and every one of us as we join together around your word. Give your servant wisdom this morning as he preaches your word. Use him, Father God, mightily to your glory. And minister through him to our hearts' needs, we pray. And we pray that today, Father, that all we do and all that we say would bring glory to your name and that we'd be able to say this day, hallelujah, what a saviour. Thank you now, Father, for this morning. Bless we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Sam is going to come and give us the next exciting episode in the story of T-Fan. Can't wait. All right. <clears throat> so, I'm glad to be here and tell you the next part of this story. You remember from last week, I'm sure, that T-Fam has now trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as her saviour. So she's at the mission station, her wounds are all healed, they've been teaching her at school and things, and she's gotten to the point where she has now believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as her saviour, and she's, um, she's on her way to heaven, and she feels a big burden lifted off her shoulders and things. But we ended the story with one thing that was still bothering her, and the one thing that was bothering her was the thought of what was going to happen when her father, the witch doctor, found out that she was now a Christian. And uh, this thought did bother her. And that played in the back of her mind. She knew what the missionaries told her, that she didn't need to be afraid of that. She didn't need to fear her father and his curse and things like that uh, because she was with God now. She was a child of God. But it still played in the back of her mind. You know, things were going really well for T-Fam. She was learning to read as, as we learnt last week at school and things. And once she could learn to read, they actually gave her her own little black book, the Bible. Now, it was the New Testament. Um, it was in her language, and they gave her her own copy of the New Testament that she could read and learn from herself. And things were going really well for T-Fam. And then the day came, the day that she was knew that would come sooner or later, that she was very nervous about. Her father came to collect her. And her dad turned up to the mission station and found T-Fam. He had... Didn't want to talk to the missionaries, had no time for them. He said, T-Fam, you must come with us. Your sister, Rosa, she's sick and she's got a baby now. Her child is sick and her husband's even sick. We need your help. You must come with us now and help. And so Rosa, she had to leave. She left the mission station and went with her father on a long trip back to where they were staying, which was at Rosa's house. And it took them a long time to get there and the sun was setting over the mountains by the time they got there and the whole time, T-Fam was just playing through her mind how she was going to tell her dad that she was now a Christian. And she just couldn't figure out the right words or, or the right time to tell him. 
As they got closer to Rose's house, they got there and then her father, the witch doctor, said, look, TFM, look, look, this is what I've been doing. And he pointed to a building that he'd been working on. He was building a new temple for his gods. He said, look, TFM, I've built a new temple. It's, it's basically finished. The gods will be happy with me now. Their spirits will be pleased. They won't be angry with us anymore. And the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go and make you a new charm. And TFM said, well, but Dad, but I... And his dad didn't hear her. His dad had wandered off to the temple with a grin of excitement, thinking that he had his daughter back and was going to make her her brand new charm to wear around her neck. And she didn't get to tell him. Next thing, T-Fam saw her sister Rosa. She ran over to Rosa straight away and said hello to her and greeted her little baby. A little baby's name was Pierre, a little boy. And greeted her little boy, Pierre, and... Rosa had a bag with her and said to her sister Rosa, she said, I've brought you some things. I've got some food for the baby. I've got some seeds, some corn seed that we can plant. And um, T-Fan was very excited to see Rosa, her sister, and her little baby. And Rosa thanked T-Fan. She said, oh, thank you so much for the, for the things you've brought us. That'll be good. And she said, before we plant the seed in the ground, we'll get Dad to go and whip the, or crack the whip over the soil. Now, this was something that they, they believed, that if they were to take a whip and crack it over the soil before they would plant a crop, that it would scare away any bad spirits and that it would, it would please the, the gods that they prayed to somehow and that it would mean that they were going to get a good crop. That's what they believed. So Rosa was excited. She said, yeah, we'll get Dad to crack the whip and then we'll plant this, the corn seed. That will be great. T-Fam said, it won't work. Cracking that whip does nothing. It won't help at all. Rosa was shocked. She said, T-Fam, have you listened to the missionaries? Have you listened to what they've said? First Victor listened and he changed. Then our mother listened and she changed. And now you, have you changed? Rosa said, uh, T-Fam said to Rose, she said, I, I, I tried not to listen. I really did. But look, they're not bad people. They're good people. Seeing all my wounds, my cuts, my bruises, I was really sick when I went there. You know that. And now I'm all better. They made me better. Rosa said, you would have gotten better on your own anyway. She said, I wouldn't have. If I stayed here, you know how bad it was. I would have died. They helped me. They're good people. They even taught me how to read. They gave me this little black book, the New Testament, the Bible, and it tells us lots of things about God. She said, I tried not to listen at the start, but the words just sunk into my head and crept down to my heart. And they spoke to me. I felt empty, but, but then I found God. And, and now I'm happy. I'm full. And Rosa started thinking about it. And then she said to T-Fam, T-Fam, what were the words? What were the words that crept down into your heart? What does the little black book say? And T-Fam went to answer her. But as soon as she opened her mouth, her father called out to her. The witch doctor came back over and he had T-Fam's brand new charm for her that he'd gone and made in the temple. And said, here T-Fam, here's your new charm. I want you to wear it all the time. It's going to give you good luck and, and it'll help you. And T-Fam hesitated. She knew she could never, ever wear that charm again because she didn't believe those things now. She was a child of God. And her father saw the hesitation in her and his eyes squinted at her and T-Fam. She just said quietly and quickly, she said, oh, I'm really tired. It's been a long day. I'll, I'll talk to you in the morning. And off she went to bed. Yeah, the next morning... When T-Fam woke up, she woke up to the sound of the whip cracking in the fresh morning air and then quickly the cries of, of um, Pierre, the baby. And T-Fam hopped up and Rosa and the witch doctor, they were outside getting the field ready and Rosa was off doing some jobs. So T-Fam picked up Pierre 
and gave him a cuddle to quieten him down and, and settle him down um, so that he'd stop crying from the sound of the whip. And then a dad yelled out, TFM, come quickly, the ground's ready, we need to plant the seed, quick, quick, bring it here. So TFM put Pierre back down, put him on his little mat, which was next to a warm fire, sat him there, and then out she went to her father. And as she went out to her father, she went to hand him the seeds, and her father went to take them from her. And he noticed that she wasn't wearing her charm. He noticed that TFM, she was, she was different now. And she say, he said to TFM, he said, TFM, have you changed? Have you changed? Are you of the gospel now? TFM hesitated. She knew what she needed to say, but she muttered out, no, no, I'm not, I'm, no. She muttered out the wrong thing. She lied in saying that she wasn't a Christian. And he said, I'm going to pray that the evil spirits will get away from this field. I'm also going to pray that the evil missionaries will, um, will leave this field alone and that we can grow our crop. And he did his little prayer and ritual and then he walked off to plant the seeds. And as he turned around and limped away, he still had a sore leg from the storm. T-Fam burst into tears. She turned away from father and tears were rolling down her face and she was so upset and so ashamed of what she'd just done. And she prayed a prayer in her head. She said, God, she said, please, Lord, help me. I'm so, so scared. I know I need to tell my dad, but I'm afraid. Please, please help me. Suddenly, she heard Pierre scream. It wasn't a cry for attention. It wasn't a cry for food. It was a cry of pain. And she ran back into the hut. She was the closest one, ran as quick as she could. And Pierre was sitting on his mat and he'd fallen over into the hot coals of the fire. Quickly, T-Fan picked him up and then poured some water on the ground and made some mud paste and put the mud on his, on his wounds to try and cool the um, burns down. And quickly, Rosa ran to the house as quick as she could and so did the witch doctor. And when they got there, they asked T-Fan what had happened and she said, I sat Pierre down and, and, and I don't know. Sadly, he, he fell in the hot coals. I'm, I'm trying to help him. And they were angry. His father, her father, the witch doctor, said, T-Fan, how come you weren't watching him? She said, I was out giving you the seeds for the garden that you asked for. I just put him down for a second. I'm sorry. And Rosa was bawling her eyes out. She was sad. She didn't know what to do. And Rosa's uh, T-Fam spoke up. She said, Dad, Rosa, let me take him to the mission station. Let me take him there. They'll be able to help him. They've got medicine there. They'll fix him. They'll make him all better. No, shouted Rosa. You can't take my baby there. You're not taking him there. They are evil. And the witch doctor said again, No, T-Fam, we are never to see those people again. Why would you even think that you could take him there? She said, they help. They do. They're good people. They're not evil like you think they are. And the witch doctor asked her again. He said, T-Fam, you've changed. Are you of the gospel now? Are you a Christian? T-Fam hesitated again. She knew that this was her second chance to tell her father and she spoke up. She said, yes, Dad. She said, I do believe. I am of the gospel. I'm, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. She said, and God loves me. And you know what? God loves Rosa, God loves Pierre, and God loves you. He wants to help you, Dad. Look, and they gave me this New Testament, the Bible, and it tells you all about it. I can read it to you. I can tell you. Her father, the witch doctor, ripped the New Testament out of her hand and tore it into tiny, tiny pieces and threw it all in the air. He was angry with her. He said to T-Fam, he said, T-Fam, if you stay of the gospel, if you stay a Christian, 
you and Pierre will both die. And that's where we'll leave our story for this week. <laughs> Bit of a cliffhanger again. We don't have long to go in this story. This story is nearly done. Importantly though, TFAM had to be very brave. It's a bit of a shame to leave it there to find out what's going to happen. But we need to be brave as well of the gospel. Sometimes it's not always easy to tell our friends or other people that, that we are Christians. Sometimes it's, it's a bit hard because we think we might get teased or picked on or something like that. But we need to be brave. We need to ask God to help us to be brave in our faith as Christians. Let's close in prayer before I hand back over. Dear Lord, we thank you for this next part of our story. Thank you that you did give um, TFM the bravery and the courage in the end to admit that she's a Christian and to trust in you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to also have the same bravery and courage, Lord, that we would um, be able to proudly say that we are Christians and tell others about you, Lord, and not be ashamed of the gospel. Pray bless the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mr. Samuel. That's exciting. Always leaves us in the lurch, wondering what's going to happen next. Can't wait till next week. So we have to hope that uh, Scott Morrison doesn't lift all restrictions before next Sunday, or else we'll never hear the end of it, adults. So uh, I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, so we can pray for Samuel as he puts the story together for next week, and uh, praise the Lord for today. Uh, some announcements. Of course, we will be back online again tonight at 5 p.m. And I'll be preaching. And uh, we're in Romans chapter 5, of course. We're looking at the love of God tonight. And so join us uh, for the evening service, 5 o'clock online, right here tonight. On Wednesday, of course, we'll be online again at 7.30pm. And uh, I'm preaching on Wednesday night. So we're back in the book of Revelation on Wednesday. Be in prayer for that, please. And uh, don't forget, at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night, to take time as a family to stop and pray. Uh, Pastor will... Uh, Upload the uh, prayer requests again this week, and uh, if um, you have any prayer requests, let him or myself have them. We'll make sure that they get distributed on Wednesday, so it's 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. As a family, you can come together and pray uh, as a church this Wednesday. Then next Sunday, of course, uh, at this stage, everything's going to be the same still next weekend, so we'll be back here at 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning online, and uh, Samuel will bring the next exciting episode in the story of Tifan. And Pastor, I know I'll be preaching next Sunday morning, so be in prayer uh, for me next Sunday morning as I preach. We're still in Romans, of course. And next Sunday evening, 5 p.m., Pastor will be preaching. And so please make sure that you avail yourself for those times next weekend. And don't forget, during the week, to contact somebody else in the church just to let them know you're thinking of them and praying for them. And uh, remember to pray for one another uh, during the week and also to pray for our Prime Minister in our federal and state governments as they have some big decisions to make uh, in the uh, weeks and months to come. Okay, we're going to turn in the Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 for our scripture reading this morning, Genesis chapter 3. Commence to read in verse 1, down to verse 7. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, 
Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So we're going to pray this morning, we're going to pray for our missionaries, and of course we did receive a prayer letter from the Sorets this week, and part of that letter said that uh, Francos is currently back in chemotherapy for another nine weeks, as the latest CT scan showed a reoccurrence and growth of the several lymph nodes. Please pray for his safety when making hospital visits. Although this is disappointing, he is committed to minister the Church of Marissus by Zoom meetings and contact them through WhatsApp. The family under lockdown continues with college studies, university, homeschooling and work, commitments and above all, our walk with God. We continue to join Victory Baptist Church, Sydney in their church activities, ministries via live streaming uh, meetings and encouragement of the saints to keep looking unto Jesus. And then we also got one from the Dagons, and which also in part reads, God led us to change from our initial plan of rebuilding the restumping our house while we were still in Australia. Little did we know that a pandemic would break out and we would be unable to have visitors to help. Sunday school keeps growing with approximately 40 attending each week from age 2 to 12. It's been exciting to see the spiritual growth in our children since returning to the mission field. I've been given opportunity to teach the Christian religious education four mornings a week at our local elementary school of approximately 120 students, although school is still uh, closed due to the state emergency. As previously reported, many items were stolen from our house. We have since had several voluntarily apologise for the thefts. Despite many missionaries leaving Papua New Guinea because of the pandemic, God has given us a spirit, uh, not given us a spirit of fear, and we have peace to stay here ministering. So we need to pray for our missionaries. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of prayer. We thank you, Father, that we can come and uh, offer up our petitions before you, particularly, Father, as we think of our, our missionaries and we pray for them. We do ask, Father God, today that you'd have your hand upon each of our missionaries. As they serve you, Father God, on the various mission fields of the world, we know, Father God, that these are difficult days. But we pray that, Father, despite the difficulty, you would help the missionaries to be used of you to your glory. We pray for the captains serving you in Umbalongu, Father God, that you bless them. You guide them and have your hand upon them, meet their needs, Father God. Protect them, Father, we pray. And uh, just use them to be a mighty witness and testimony for you in uh, Zambia. We pray, Father God, for the Evans serving you in Japan. We thank you for their ministry in Sapporo. We pray that, Lord, you guide them as they minister online this day to their congregation. We pray that, Lord, you'd use them that they would have an effective ministry for your glory and that souls be saved and lives changed. You meet the needs of the Evanses. Bless them spiritually and physically, Father God, we pray, and just go before them. Uh, Father, we pray for uh, Brendan and Emma as they serve you in uh, uh, Connell Park alongside the Matthews. We pray that, Lord, you use them mightily. Have your hand upon them and meet their needs, we pray. We pray, Father, for the Sorettes today. We thank you for them. We thank you, Father God, that uh, you've given them opportunity now to minister to the people of Mauritius via the internet, Father, that while they are 
in lockdown in Australia, they can be ministering to the church and Mauritius is an amazing thing with regard to technology. We thank you, Father God, for that opportunity. We just pray that you'd continue to bless. And we pray, Father God, uh, for Francois. We pray that, Lord God, that you'd have your hand upon him. We pray that, Lord God, as he goes to the hospital, you give them safety and travel, give them safety from the coronavirus. We pray, Father God, that you would just uh, have your hand upon him. We pray that, Lord, that the chemo would work, that these uh, outbreaks, Father God, of cancer would be taken care of, and that, Lord, it's your will be able to return to Mauritius, Father God, once it's possible to travel. We pray, Father God, that you'd have your hand upon the Dagons too. We thank you for their faithfulness to you. We thank you for their ministry for you. We thank you, Father God, that they are safely there in Papua New Guinea. We pray that you would indeed keep them safe, Father God, from the coronavirus, keep them safe from the uh, tribal infighting, keep them safe, Father God, in uh, all these other ways. We thank you you've given them peace to stay, and we pray that you use them mightily, Father God, in Papua New Guinea. To your glory, have your hand upon them, provide for them, Father God, meet their needs day by day, and strengthen them, Father. We pray for the heirs and the uh, crockets in Romania, we think of them, we pray for the Nyas in India, the Manis in Fiji, we pray that, Lord God, you'd have your hand upon each of these missionaries, they serve you in various parts of the world, for the Portellos who are you in Argentina, Father God, we pray, Father, for the Lewises in Israel, have your hand upon them. We pray, Father God, you bless each of these missionaries, the Olmsteads in Scotland. Uh, Lord, we pray that you provide for them and undertake for them and give them safety, Father God, in their various fields of ministry to your glory. Father, we do continue to pray for our government today. We continue to pray for our Prime Minister. Have your hand upon, Father God, uh, our Prime Minister, and upon our government and upon our state government. Give them wisdom in the weeks and months to come as they have some serious decisions to make as to when they can send us back to work and when they can send us back to activities and when they can reopen churches and we pray that just God and you would help and you'd undertake for them give them wisdom from on high we pray Father God for our church family today have your hand upon them pray that Lord God you keep each and every one of us safe pray that you protect us Father God from the coronavirus and we pray that Lord God just uh, encourage us spiritually even this day have your hand upon us and bless we pray uh, just guide now this service for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 3. <coughs> this morning <clears throat> and let's just read verse 1 as we begin now the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he said unto the woman yea hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden and let's open with a word of prayer <clears throat> dear Lord and Heavenly Father we do uh, thank you once again this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather even in this way around your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts today, that you would challenge us, that you would refresh us and bless us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would empower me uh, now through the Holy Spirit. I pray that everything I say this morning would be 
uh, from you, that it would be your words and your thoughts, and that, Lord, uh, we would uh, conclude today rejoicing in you and, and who you are and everything you've done for us. And I pray you bless our time now. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 3, of course, we started looking at last Sunday evening. And, of course, we have recorded in Genesis 3 the fall of man, this all-important uh, event in the history of mankind, this event that changes uh, everything, changes the course of history. Now, as we said last week, all of our problems that exist in the world today uh, can be traced back to Adam and Eve's sin there in the Garden of Eden. You know, disease, death, destruction, all these things are a result of uh, Adam and Eve's sin. They all can be traced back to that one event. And of course, last Sunday evening, we focused on the tempter, Satan himself. You know, created by God, Satan was the anointed cherub that covereth until his heart was lifted up with pride and he led a rebellion against Almighty God. And of course, as a result, Satan and his followers were cast out of heaven down to the earth. And now Satan upon the earth sets about to destroy God's creation. So last week we talked about really the events between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And now we see how Satan goes about uh, leading uh, Adam and Eve into sin, into rebelling against God. Now we talked about last week that mankind was created perfect without a sin nature. There's no bent towards sin. And so for them to sin, they needed to be tempted. They had to be persuaded by an external source, tempted to sin. And the, and the vessel that Satan uses, as we talked about last Sunday evening, is the serpent. He possesses the body of the serpent and he, he catches Eve when she's alone, when she's vulnerable. And he sets about to cause her to doubt and question God's word so that she might indeed sin against God. And so this morning I want us to consider the steps that Satan uses here to tempt Eve to partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now first of all here this morning we see that Satan questioned God's word. Satan questioned God's word. Verse 1 as we read before, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. <clears throat> now, of course, we mentioned this at the conclusion of last week's sermon. But Satan begins his deception here by questioning the very words of God. He questions God's word. And Satan's goal here is to plant <clears throat> the, even the smallest seed of doubt in Eve's mind. You know, if he can plant that tiny little bit of seed, then he has something to build upon uh, to eventually lead her into sin. And the seeds of doubt are sown here by questioning God. And we read here, Satan says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, there are a couple of things that Satan is questioning here and that he's getting Eve uh, to question. Now, with the phrase, Yea, hath God said, Satan is basically asking, did God really say that? And he's also asking, did God really mean that? 
You know, Eve, who had never questioned anything God had said to her, she'd never, you know, reasoned why God had said something, never uh, reasoned what God's motives were, is now asked by Satan to question God's word, to question God's motives, to question if God meant what he said, and also to question why God said it. You know, why did God tell them that they couldn't eat of every tree of the garden. Why, why did God do that? That's really what he's asking Eve here. And notice that Satan draws Eve's attention to the one tree, the one thing that they couldn't partake of. That's where he places the, the attention here upon the prohibition, the, the one thing that they are prohibited from doing. Now, they've been told wonderfully by God that they could freely eat of every tree in the garden. That's what God had said. Even of the tree of life, they could partake. The only tree they couldn't partake of was, of course, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we see that back in chapter 2. Let's just read it. Chapter 2, verse 15. Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And so here we have this command given by God to Adam and, of course, to Eve. This command by God that they were to, you know, and basically God says you can eat of everything. You just can't eat of this one tree. And so these verses in chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, these verses really highlight for us the goodness of God, don't they? As you read those verses, you don't think about God's restrictions. You think about God's goodness. God's goodness, he's given them this wonderful garden. He's provided it for them, all this food, every tree they can partake of. That's the focus in chapter 2 as God gives that command. But what does Satan do here in chapter 3? Satan turns the focus around to what God had said they couldn't do. He narrows the focus so that Eve is looking at the thing God said they couldn't partake of. He says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That's not what God said. God said, Ye shall eat of every tree. The Satan focuses. He puts not in there. He says, What is it God said you couldn't do? It's, not, it's hard to not see the, the intent here. It's pretty easy, in other words. It's easy to see the intent of the question. You know, why, he's asking Eve, he's saying, why do you think God did that? What's God's motive here, Eve? Why is this tree so special that God doesn't want you to partake of it? Now really what Satan is saying here is, he's saying, if God really loves you, he would be more generous, Eve. God's holding out on you. That's the little seed that he's planting here with this question. You know, Satan's tactic is still the same today, isn't it? Satan wants mankind, he wants even us as believers, Christians, he wants us to question God's word. To question God's motives behind what he says. To question God's goodness. Now, God is so good to us, just like he was good to Adam and Eve. God's good to us. God has given everything we need. And yet so often the temptation to sin starts with Satan planting that little thought that we're missing out on something. 
That, you know, because God says we can't do this, we're missing out on that thing that the world has. We're missing out on that, that, that sin. We're missing out on partaking on, in that thing. He plants that little seed of doubt, that little thought. Why is God restricting us? Why doesn't God let us partake? Why does God say that's sin? You see, we start to think because God says that's sin, I'm missing out. And so we begin to question the truth of God's word. That's exactly what he's doing here to Eve, isn't it? He's getting her to start to question God's goodness, God's motives. Now, one commentator wrote this. He said, this is usually man's first step towards sin. We begin to question whether or not the Bible really means what we have been taught it means. For years we've heard that certain things were, were wrong and we never questioned them. But Satan begins to whisper in our ears, is that really what God said? He does the same thing. The exact same thing he does to Eve here, he does to us. does to mankind. Now, this is what he does to Eve here. He plants this little seed of doubt, this little thought. Is that really what God said? What did God mean by this? What's God's motives, Eve? And Eve's response here to Satan, unfortunately, shows us that she's already beginning to weaken in her resolve to obey God. Let's just look at her response in verse 2. It says, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now in verses 2 and 3 here, Eve responds to the serpent, responds to Satan. And she seeks to assure the serpent that he is wrong. Now God has allowed them to eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. It's only that one tree in the midst of the garden that they are restricted from partaking of. But even here in this response, there is a hint here that her resolve is weakening. A hint of mistrust creeping in. A hint of her beginning to doubt God's goodness. You see, as Eve attempts here to correct the serpent's implication. Okay, We talked about what he was implying here with this question. As she attempts to correct that implication, she reveals that his question has begun to have an effect upon her. And this is evident when we compare her reply with what God had actually commanded of Adam and Eve back in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Let's just read chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 again. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now when you compare the two, when you compare those verses with what Eve said, when you compare the two, it's evident that Eve here both subtracted from God's words and added to God's words. She misquoted the Lord here. And in doing so, she makes the Lord seem less generous and also makes the Lord seem more demanding. You understand that? She makes the Lord seem less generous, less good, and also make him seem more demanding of her than he really was. Now, before we talk about exactly how she misquoted the Lord here, I think it's uh, good to point out some commentators here 
have said that this was just an honest mistake. That this was simply a memory lapse or an earnest expression of her feelings. But I think we need to remember here that Eve was created perfect. She hasn't fallen yet. Eve was created perfect. And so Eve has a perfect memory. Eve has a perfect understanding of God's word. There's no memory lapse here. Okay, we need to understand there's no memory lapse here. In her response to Satan, she misquotes the Lord. She misquotes the Lord. And as we said, by doing so, she makes the Lord seem less generous and more demanding than he really was. And the first of these comes in verse 2. Where we read, it says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now what God had actually said was that they could freely eat of every tree of the garden. Look in verse 16 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And so there is a big difference between what Eve said and what God had actually said. She leaves out the words freely and leaves out the word every. And by doing so, she makes the Lord seem less generous. She makes him seem less generous. God said, you can freely eat of every tree, bar one. Eve says, we may eat of the fruit of the garden. So she's made God seem less generous, makes God seem less caring, less loving, just by leaving out those two little words. And then in verse 3, Eve goes on and says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Compare that with chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Again, the differences here are clear. Eve adds to God's words here. She adds the words, neither shall ye touch it. God didn't say that. God didn't declare that in chapter 2, verse 17. God had simply said the restriction was, ye shall not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had not said you can't touch it. Eve adds that here. She adds another restriction, doesn't she? So she's making God's restrictions now too. You can't eat it and you can't touch it. Whereas God had only said you can't partake of the fruits. And so she's added another restriction, and what is she doing? She makes God seem more demanding than God really was. The point is, there seems to be a growing resentment already. Just by this one question of Satan, there seems to be already a growing resentment as Eve is contemplating these things, a growing resentment towards God. Why is God doing this? Why is God restricting this? Why won't God let us partake? Why is God being so demanding? And then Eve ends verse 3 with the words, lest ye die. And again, this is a change from what God said. You see, lest ye die speaks of a possibility. You know, she says we can't eat it, we can't touch it, lest we die. It's a possibility, lest we possibly die. Instead of a certainty, what God had said was, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely Die. It wasn't a possibility, it was a certainty. God's words were clear, death was certain. The moment they ate the fruit, they would die immediately. And we'll talk about it, it's spiritual death, immediate spiritual death, and then eventually physical death. But the effects were immediate. 
And it was exactly as God said, death. God's words were clear. But Eve changes God's words here into a possibility. And by doing so, she distorts the truth, doesn't she? She's distorted the truth. And all of this seems to show that Eve is already beginning to doubt God's goodness. Beginning to doubt God's truthfulness. She's doubting God's word. Now it's always a dangerous thing to add to or take away from the word of God. You know, we can trust God to say exactly what he means. When we read God's word, God said exactly as he wanted it said. Exactly what he meant to say. When man begins to change God's word in any way, we're distorting the truth. We're departing from the truth. We're twisting it to, to suit man's purposes. And you know, this kind of tampering with the word of God will lead to divine reproof. Proverbs chapter 30, let's just turn over there quickly. Just a couple of verses, Proverbs 30. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6. It says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found the liar. In Proverbs 30, we, we read, We're not to add to God's words, lest he reprove thee. And then in Revelation chapter 22, we see a similar thing. Revelation 22 and verse 19. Revelation 22 verse 19 says, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And so there's warnings in the word of God about adding to or taking away from God's word. It's a dangerous thing. Because the moment we do, we are departing from, we are distorting God's words, distorting the truth. You see, we need to accept God's word as truth and accept it wholly as truth, as it's given to us. It must not be added to or taken away from. And so we've seen Satan's first tactic, and that was to question God's word, which led to this response by Eve. Now, secondly, this morning, we see Satan denied God's word. Satan denied God's word. Verse 4 says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Satan began by questioning the word of God. And now he progresses to outright denial of God's word. Satan, he directly contradicts God's word. And effectively, he calls God a liar. He says, Ye shall not surely die. Now, as we read before in, in verse 17 of chapter 2, God had said that in the day that they partook thereof, they would surely die. That was what God said. That was God's wording. God had said it was a surety that death would be immediate, that that was the punishment. And Satan here calls God a lie. He says, you won't die. You can see him talking to Eve here. You won't die. God's, God's just trying to scare you. God's scaring you. God's lying to you. He denies that there will be a consequence to sin. Notice that? Satan denies that there will be a consequence to sin. And think about that for a second. What we have taking place here. We have Satan, the father of all lies. John 8 verse 44 says he is a liar and the father of it. We have Satan, the father of all lies, calling God 
the author of truth, a liar. Just turn, turn quickly to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Just one verse talking about the fact that God is the God of truth. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. <clears throat> it says, He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Our God is a God of truth. In the New Testament, Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. And so we have Satan here, the father of all lies, calling God, the author of truth, a liar and deceiver. You see, the moment Satan did that, because it's very clear what Satan's doing, isn't it? He's calling God a liar. The moment Satan did that, Eve's response should have been to immediately remind herself of the truth of God's word, believe it, and get out of there. Really, that should have been her response. This should have been setting off the alarm bells. This serpent that I'm talking to has just called God, the one who created me, a liar. She should have got out of there. She should have responded by believing God's word. God said, I'm going to die. Get out of there. Believe what God said and flee. As I said, if the warning bells hadn't sounded before this, they should have been ringing loud and clear right now. But instead, what we find is that Eve lingers, doesn't she? Eve lingers, and she continues to listen to what the serpent has to say. And so often this is the case, isn't it, when it comes to temptation. It's when we linger and we don't immediately flee that we find ourselves getting into trouble. Especially when we know that God's word teaches the very opposite of the thing that we're considering. The very opposite of what we're, we're being tempted to do. In those moments of temptation, we need to remind ourselves of the truth of God's word, believe it, and act upon it. Getting out of there. You know, Psalm 91 and verse 4 declares, it says, His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. God's truth protects us, but it can only protect us if we, by faith, believe it and use it. It's no good sitting on the shelf when we don't believe it. We've got to believe God's word and use God's word. We must believe what God tells us to be true and then stand firmly upon it. But sadly, Eve here, she doesn't respond by getting out. She lingers. She listens to the serpent as he's questioned God and now as he's denied God called God a liar. And Eve is now in a vulnerable place. She's right where Satan wants her. And if you like, he moves in for the kill. And so we see thirdly this morning that Satan substituted his own lie. Satan substituted his own lie. Look in verse 5. It says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know, gradually Satan here has teared down Eve's view of God, hasn't he? Little by little, he's pulled it down. And Eve is now right where Satan wants her to be, doubting and questioning God's word. And now Satan tells Eve his own lie. If you like, this is the final piece of the puzzle. We talked about these are the steps that he led her into sin. It's the final piece of the puzzle. He's questioned God's word. He's denied God's word. And now he tells Eve his truth. 
which he portrays to be the real truth. And Satan here tells Eve that the reason, the reason God doesn't want them to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not because they'll die, but rather because they'll have wisdom and they'll have understanding and they will be as gods. Isn't that what it says there in verse 5? He says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan says, you're not going to die. The reason God doesn't want you to eat the fruit is because you'll be as gods. It's interesting, that literally means ye shall be as Elohim. Ye shall be as God, the one true God. Basically, Satan says to Eve, he says, you'll be equal with God. If you partake of the fruit, you will be just like him in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge. He says, Eve, if you partake of the fruit, you can be your own God. You won't have to listen to what God says. You won't have to worry about what's, what's right and wrong because you can make those decisions for yourself. You can be your own God. You know, this is the very same temptation that led Satan to falling, isn't it? That led Satan to rebelling against God as we saw last Sunday evening. In Isaiah chapter 14, let's just quickly turn over there. Isaiah 14. In Isaiah 14, let's read from verse 13. It says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also... Oh, sorry, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That was what tempted Satan. Satan, Lucifer here, he says, I will be like the Most High. Satan wanted to be equal with God. He wanted to be his own God. And this is the very same temptation that he now puts before Eve. He says, you won't die, you'll be as God. You'll be like God. This is the lie that he tells her. And it proves to be an irresistible temptation. We know that from verse 6, don't we? Genesis 3, verse 6. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she partook of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now we'll look more at this next week. But it's this lie, this temptation, that they will be like God, that Eve can be her own God, knowing good and evil. That is the temptation, that's the, that's the lie that leads to the final step of her partaking of the fruits. That's the final straw, if you like. Morris writes this, <clears throat> He says, in effect, of course, as soon as one begins to deny God's word or to question his sovereign goodness, he is really setting himself up as his own God. He is deciding for himself the standards of truth and righteousness. This has been the subtle implication of Satan's probings all along. And now Eve was properly softened to the idea, the over-assertion of imminent divinity and omniscience was more than she could resist. 
That's really what's happening here. Satan has put this right before. He says, you'll be as God. I mean, good and evil, you can make your own decisions. He puts it before her and it's more than Eve could resist. And of course, you know, this is still man's greatest temptation today. Man's desire is to be their own God. Their own God to decide what's right and wrong. To decide for themselves what's truth. I'll make my own decision about truth. It's my truth. That's your truth. This is my truth. This is how mankind is today. Mankind wants to be their own God. Mankind wants to be responsible or accountable to no one but themselves. They don't want to be responsible or accountable to God. They don't want to be accountable only to themselves. What we determine to be right. You know, this is the overwhelming philosophy in the world today, isn't it? The same sin that Eve fell into, that's the sin. That's the overwhelming philosophy in the world today, that we are our own God. We make our own decisions. Truth is relative. Now, Romans chapter 1 describes for us how this has been the case right from the beginning. Man has rejected the truth of God and turned instead unto foolishness, turned instead unto lies. In verse 25 there in particular, it says, who changed the truth of God into a lie, or exchanged it for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. Man has believed the lie of Satan. We talked about it earlier. John 8 verse 44 says that Satan is a liar and the father of it. Satan is the father of the lie that mankind has believed. And that lie is the same lie that Eve believed. The lie that man can be his own God. That man can live for themselves and not the creator without any consequences. We talked about that earlier. We said that Satan here says there's no consequence to sin. And that's exactly what mankind has believed. That's the lie. That they can serve themselves, live for themselves without any consequences. You know, believe in this lie. Mankind refuses to submit to God's truth. And instead, mankind unknowingly is following Satan's plan of destruction. The unsaved don't realize it, but Satan is their master. He's the one they're serving. He's the one they're they're following. Ephesians 2 talks about that. Let's turn over there. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2 and verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein... In time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The unsaved are walking according to the course of the devil, according to the course of the prince of the power of the air. And they're heading straight long into eternity, separated from God in the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that. Let's just turn there, Revelation 20. Quickly, Revelation 20 talks about the sad end of mankind believing this lie that they are their own God, accountable only to themselves. 
In Revelation 20 and verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged and, sorry, out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, like it or not, there is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of judgment coming where we, we will stand accountable to God. And if we're unsaved, we'll stand, as Revelation 20 says, you'll stand before the, the great white throne judgments and be cast to the lake of fire because your name is not found in the book of life. You see, Satan has blinded the eyes of many to the truth that there is a God who created us. There is a God in heaven who loves us. And we are accountable to him. You are accountable to him. He is God. And because of his holiness, because of his justice, God must deal with sin. He can't let it go. God must deal with sin. God will deal with sin. But in his love, God has provided a way of salvation. Through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, to be saved to escape that eternity in the lake of fire, to be saved, all we have to do is acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our accountability to God. And in faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Admit our accountability to God. Admit you're a sinner. And call out upon the Lord to save you before it's too late. You know, I wonder today, have you admitted your accountability to God? Or are you still believing Satan's lie? Satan's lie that you are your own God. That you can determine truth for yourself. That you are accountable to no one but yourself. That is Satan's great lie. And it's a lie that's leading so many men straight into eternity, separated from God. If you don't know the Lord today, will you not trust him today before it's too late? Admit your accountability and call upon him in faith. You know, for those of us who are saved, you know, we need to remember that we're not immune to the attacks of the devil. He still attacks us in the same way that he attacked Eve. He seeks to get us to question God's word, to question God's goodness, his motives. You know, if Satan can get us to do that, then we're already on the road to denying God's word and sinning against the Lord. Now, Christ gives us the perfect example of how we are to respond to these spiritual attacks of the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, when our Lord was tempted, he responded each time by saying, It is written. Christ responded, how? With the power of God's word. And we likewise need to respond by standing firm on the truth of God's word, standing firm in faith upon the truth of God's word so that we might not fall into sin, we might not be deceived by the attacks of the devil. 
You know, Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll close with this. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Lord, we need to stand fast upon the truth of God's word so we might not be deceived by the lies of the devil. Let's close in the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you for the truth of Genesis chapter 3. And Lord, this insight into how Satan led Eve into rebellion against you. Lord, he questioned your word, he denied your word, and he substituted his lie. And Lord, sadly, this is the case for so many in the world today. They are believing the lie of the devil. Believing the lie that they can be their own God, accountable to themselves, and because of it, they're heading straight for eternity, separated from you in the lake of fire. Lord, I pray that you work in hearts and lives this morning. If there's anybody watching who's not saved today, may they, they see their accountability to you. May they today see their need of salvation before it's too late through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us who are saved, help us to stand firm in faith upon your word. Help us to realize, Lord, the truthfulness of your word and not be deceived by the, uh, the, the wiles of the devil, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.